0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. chapter 9. If you'd like to turn there, and we'll see how far we get. Um, perhaps a couple of chapters as we study the life of this guy named uh, Jehu, and you're like, who? Jehu, that's his name, and you know, he's a lesson for us, it's kind of uh, a trip, you know, we know God's on the throne, and God's accomplishing his purposes, and you know, but in, in one sense, Jehu is a guy who had a lot of potential, a lot of potential, but he just wasn't able to live up to it, you know, and for me, it's, those are always lessons for me, you know, as we examine our lives, you know, like um, how the Lord wants to do such a great work in us and through us. He wants to make us like Jesus. And he wants us to bring people to Jesus. I mean, he just his, the things that he's able to do uh, through surrendered vessels are just amazing. But how many people really reach their potential? You know, how many people, you might look at it in sports or maybe academics, but how many people in the church really realize their potential? You know, and, and, I, and I guess, like, looking at our study today, we're going to see that this guy, man, he could have just gone to the ends of the earth for the glory of God. But unfortunately, we're going to see that he didn't do that. And we're, there's a lot of lessons that we learn along the way. Because look what we read here in Second Kings 9 in verse 1. It says, And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room and then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and split. <laughs> he says, open the door and flee and, and do not delay. Now it's interesting. Elisha, uh, this guy right here, he usually has the guys do his work for him. This is the sons of one of the prophets we're going to see later. He's identified as a young man. He says, I've got a mission for you. I want you to go, uh, take your flask of oil, go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you get there, look for Jehu, and uh, what I want you to do is take him into an inner room, and I want you to anoint him as the new king of Israel. And uh, and and you know, looking at this right here, we're going to see God raises up a new king. We know in the book of Psalms, chapter seventy-five, it says that the Lord is the one who raises up, and the Lord is the one who puts down. Exaltation doesn't come from the east or the west or the south; it comes from the north. It comes from God. And basically what had happened now was the dynasty, which originated with Tobni, with, uh, uh, I believe, and then it was Omri, and then it was Ahab, and then it was Athaliah, and now it's Joram, these wicked, wicked kings. It was t- now time for God to judge them. And so God is going to raise up a new king. He's going to raise up this guy, Jehu. And in order for him to you know, raise up a man, think about it, to lead his people, they, would, they, would, they, would, they must be anointed by the Lord. They must be appointed by God and anointed by God. It doesn't matter how good-looking they are, how tall they are, how eloquent they are, how strong they are. It doesn't matter how smart they are. None of that really matters. What matters is, are they anointed and appointed by God? Because God is the one that raises up and God is the one that puts down. And so he says, hey you, when you go, take your flask of oil You know, tell him to rise up from his associates, take him into an inner room, and you just pour that oil on his head. And so, for all of us here, maybe we're not called to be king of Israel. Maybe we're not going to be anointed to be the president of the United States. Maybe you will. Don't give up. I'll vote for you if you're a Christian, okay? (laughs) But whatever it is, whatever it is, the husbands, the wives, the overseers in the ministries, wherever you're at, we need the oil and the anointing of the Holy Spirit because the oil we know is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You know, on our bulletins, I don't know if you guys know this, but we have that scripture in Zechariah. Let's turn there real quick to Zechariah chapter four. And in verse one of Zechariah four, it says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I'm looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. And so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And so he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before you, Zerubbabel shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. How do you move that great mountain? What's the great mountain in your life? What's the great mountain and the challenge for us, whatever it is, in the family or in the ministry? What's the mountain that needs to be moved? It doesn't even matter what it is. When there is a perpetual supply of oil, which is what we see right here, these lampstands connected to the olive trees, when there is a perpetual supply of the oil, of the Spirit of God on your life, it doesn't matter what the mountain is. If God calls you to move that mountain, He'll do it. And that's why we need that oil of the Holy Spirit. That's why God anoints the leaders. God appoints the leaders. And wherever He calls you, whatever task is, and sometimes we put people in positions of ministry, sometimes we feel inadequate because we are, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and He will anoint you. You see, and that's why He says, take this flask of oil, and it's interesting, and I don't want to read too much into it, But it's interesting to me how um, back in 2 Kings, he says, make him rise up. You know, make him rise up from his associates. A lot of times you need to rise up from your associates. You know, they're there and you guys are just kicking it. You got it in cruise control. There's really not a lot going on because you're just kind of complacent, maybe passive, maybe too passive. And God says, you know, you got to love everybody, but there's a time to rise up. Rise up from your associates. And then it's kind of interesting. He says, go into the inner room. How we need to go into the inner room, how we need, it's not going to happen unless you have quiet time with the Lord. It's not going to happen unless there is a fresh manna that's falling on your life every single day. You know, that's what we need. You know, here's a leader. God's going to raise up a leader. And to me, again, I don't want to read too much into it, but I just couldn't help but See that there and think, wow, Lord, you know, that's so important. It's so important to rise up. It's so important to go into the inner room. It's so important to, you know, pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. There are stories in history where men locked themselves in their room and they said, I'm not leaving until I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, do you have that? You know, to me, I really think, I really believe that the key is prayer. Of course, we would have to have a heart of obedience, but prayer, Luke 11 says, you keep on seeking, you keep on asking, you keep on knocking for the Holy Spirit in your life because you realize you can't do it on your own strength. And so the key to your life is your prayer life. How is your prayer life? You know, you're not going to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You may think you are because you're doing pretty good, but you're not really doing pretty good because God has so much for you if you're not praying then there's probably no power. And so, you know, he just. I I like the way Elisha just says, go and anoint this guy as the king of Israel. And it was kind of a dangerous thing. And he says, run away. And so we read in verse 4, So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. And when he arrived there, were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. And Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, For you, Commander. And then he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head, and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. I will cut off. Ahab, all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Hijah. The dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jerosrael, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door, and he fled. And so the Lord here, you know, just starts putting things into motion. This young man goes and he says, Jehu, I'm calling you and I'm going to give you a title. I'm going to make you the king. You know, know we guys have, we've always learned this, that we're not into titles, but we are into tasks. This is a heavy title and therefore it's a heavy task, right? Right? And so he says, this is what I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you king, and this is what I want you to do, I want you to wipe out the house of Ahab, I want you to strike them all down, I want you to kill them all, you know, and of course we know this is not random, this is something that was not unmerited, back in 1 Kings chapter 21, if you read verses 20 through 29, it was prophesied through the prophet Elijah that After Ahab's wife Jezebel orchestrated the murder of Naboth, if you remember, and they unjustly acquired his property, God, you know, prophesied, "I'm making you responsible. You're the leader, and I'm going to wipe out your whole family, all the men, you know." And that's a heavy, heavy judgment. It didn't happen right away. Ahab kind of humbled himself and God said, it won't happen to you, but it's going to happen to your grandson. It took 30 years. It wasn't until the third generation, but the judgment was going to be eventually executed. You know, and so, you know, the young man comes and he tells him, you know, who you are now and what I want you to do. And and he listens to the prophecy that's proclaimed upon his life. But I'm not really sure if Jehu was, like, you know, there. I, I think there are some guys that are like, hey, I'm ready to take over. I don't think Jehu was necessarily there. You know, like, hey, you know, just uh, call me, pick me, God. You know, usually the Lord doesn't pick those who, who say pick me. But, you know, I don't know. Jehu, even when the prophet came in, he's all, I have a message for you, commander. And they're like, well, who? You know, who? It's, you, know you, you, commander, not the captains, the commander. You're the commander, right? Yeah. So anyways, he tells him this thing, he leaves, and then in verse 11, Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and and one said to him, "Is all well, why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, ah, you know, the man and his babble. And they said, a lie, you're lying to us, tell us, you know, right now. And so he said, well, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. And then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps, and they blew the trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. You know, and it's kind of funny, this whole thing. You know, I I don't know for sure if they knew the young man. Uh, It kind of looks like they did. It kind of looks like they they thought he was a little weird. A madman, I'm not sure. Uh, It's kind of puzzling how one minute they think he's a man who's mad. You know, in the next minute, they think he's a man of God. You know, why did this madman come to you? Ah, just a a bunch of babble. And yet, you know, Jehu undoubtedly had oil dripping from his head. You know, he's all wet, right? And the scent is emanating from his person. Hold on a second. Time out. You're anointed. You're anointed by God. I'm going to follow you. Because God anointed you. We smell it. We see it. It's dripping from your head. It's not you. It's the Lord. And so they took off their garments. And all this is probably symbolic. They took off their garments. They laid it down there on the, on the road. And then what ends up happening is, man, these guys, they, you know, they just blow the trumpets. And they say, man, God's doing a, a work. We actually see something good here in that Jehu wasn't necessarily pouncing on the opportunity to devour the king's dynasty. You know, he's like, "Well, ah, just a bunch of babble." No, they pressed the issue. Tell us, what did he say? Well, this is what he said. And then when they all, you know, confirmed it, then Jehu, I like this. I like this about Jehu. One moment he's not ready to take over. But when it becomes clear that it's God, he runs with it. Oh, if God's in it, you know, I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not able. I would have never thunk. But I tell you what, if God's in it, I'm going to run with it. And we're going to see he definitely does run with it. When the trumpets blew, he knew it. It was judgment time. God was moving And I want to encourage you guys to know that when God calls, you need to answer. We need to rise up to our responsibility and remember that the will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot make you. The leader he's called you to be. And so we read in verse 14. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now, Joram had been defending Ramoth-Gilead, he and all Israel, against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Jehu said, if you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. Now, if you remember, we read back in verse 1, that they were in Ramath-Gilead. Gilead. This is where the battle previously was taking place, where they, the, the Israelite army was there defending their city from the Syrians. But the king of Israel, King Joram, apparently was wounded, and so he goes back to Jezreel. And so now, you know, um, Jehu is here, the captains are here, more than likely the army is here. And so it's time now. They conspired. God made it clear there's going to be a new king. And so they leave the city uh, to go after the king. And, And when they leave the city, he tells them, you know, to make sure that you don't let anyone leave. We've got to make sure the king doesn't get a warning or a heads up. And so in verse 16, Jehu rode in a chariot, And went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. Now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. And so they're they're approaching Jezreel now, Jehu and his army. We don't know how many were with him. So the watchman is up there and he says, I see guys coming. I see a company of men coming. And so Joram, that's the king of Israel, he said, get a horseman and send him to meet them and let him say, is it peace? And so the horseman went to meet him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying the messenger went to them but is not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu answered, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying, He went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. So this could, Jehu probably got a lot of tickets, more than likely back then. He was a crazy driver. And they knew him. He was a crazy driver, right? I know it's Jehu. And so in verse 21, Jehoram said, Make ready, and his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu, and met him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And so he answered, What peace? As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. You know, the watchmen obviously, you know, had a hunch that something was up. Uh, They would come. A couple of guys came with that common question, do you come in peace? And it's interesting, you know, to me that that would be the question they ask. But basically, the kingdom had come to a place where the true peace of God could not be found any longer. He said, you're asking for peace? Follow me. You're asking for peace? Don't don't follow that guy anymore. Follow me. What do you know about peace? And then finally when the king himself finally shows up, you know, and I guess he's good enough physically to ride in his chariot, there in the latter portion of verse 22, Jehu kind of lays it all out. He again he asks him, "Is it peace, Jehu?" And he answered, "What peace?" You know, as long as the hearttrees of, of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. Isaiah forty eight twenty two. it says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. You know, I don't know. You know, looking at this right here and just seeing the request for peace and uh, is it peace? Do you come in peace? You know, the bottom line is that they're not going to have peace. We're not going to have peace if we're living in sin. This nation will not have peace, real peace, if we're living in sin, right? And that's what we see what's going on in Israel. They, they, he says, you know, the, the Jezebel, and again, we talked about the influence of this wicked woman, such a wicked woman, the way that she influenced this nation, you know, to turn from even the calf worship, as if that wasn't bad enough, now they worship Baal, and she persecuted the prophets and. Just the things that they did. The influence, the wicked influence that she had on this nation. It's interesting to me how they trace it all back to Jezebel. Be careful who you marry, <laughs> guys. And girls too, of course, you know. But, you know, what a, what a crazy, crazy indictment there. And he just says, you know what, there's no way you're going to have peace. You, you guys are living under the influence of Jezebel. You're living under the influence of the devil, And there's no way that you're going to ever have peace. And, you know, that's something that I think is is true for a nation. I think it's true for individuals, right? It's impossible to have peace if we're living in sin. As a matter of fact, only the life that follows the Lord to the best of their ability has any hope for the peace of God in their life. You know, because if you're living in sin, if you're living in... Consistent, resistant, persistent, sin, unrepentant, or whatever, if you're just kind of casually walking with the Lord, you're not gonna have that peace. But when you're shooting for the bullseye, when you're trying, and you're like, Lord, you know the sincerity of my of my heart. Apart from you, I know I'm wicked, but Lord, in you there's hope that I can be like Jesus. And and then when that happens, you know, then you're gonna start enjoying the peace which to me is such an important thing for us as christians it really is you know you get the rest you get the sleep you get you know that peace the burdens are lifted because you know that you're walking with the lord the way that you should you know we will never have peace if we're living a life of disobedience and of course we know that first of all we need peace with god Right. And that's what happens when we give our life to Jesus Christ and you become a Christian. You're no longer an enemy. Right. But then after that, we need the peace of God. And it's a peace that surpasses understanding. You know, it's a peace that, you know, when you're when you're going through hard times and some of you here are, you know, you can't explain it. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or how it all is going to pan out. But I do know this, that the Lord loves you. I do know this, that He's your God and He's watching over your life. And He loves you. He knows how many hairs you have, how many tears you've cried. You know, and we're dealing with our children and probably with me, you know. Like, um, you know, we have our struggles there and our worries there. What's going to happen to them and their future, Lord? God's got it covered. You know, you do your part. Pray for them. Try to be an example to them and, and raise them in the ways of the Lord. But don't ever forget the fact that God loves them infinitely more than you do. God's working in their life. Let God work in their life. And just know that all the burdens, all the burdens, even our burden of sin that we try to carry, it'll crush us. It'll crush us. You've got to give it to the Lord. You know, your, your life is His, this ministry is His. And what happens is when you're when you're in that understanding and and you're praying and you're trying as a Christian, when you're not you know like playing the hypocrite, but you're trying, you know, you're going to experience the peace, and it's a beautiful thing when you get your eyes on the Lord man, and do you really want that peace, that true peace? You see, the current king of Israel, Joram, he, he may have asked a question about peace. Are you here for peace? I'm interested in peace. But he wasn't really interested in it. And so the Lord would raise up a man who was, was interested in it. Oh, you want peace? Follow me. Right? And the Lord's doing a new work. And, and so, you know, he tells the king hey, you know what? You guys are in sin. It's because of Jezebel and her witchcraft. And so what we read in verse 23, then Joram turned around and fled. And he said to Ahaziah, now Ahaziah remembers the king of Judah who was there to visit him, treachery Ahaziah. Now Jehu, you can picture him now, he just pulls back his bull with full strength. And, and you guys know that you got to be strong, yeah, right? And he shot Jehoram between his arms, and the arrow came out at his heart, and he just sank down in his chariot. And then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, Pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I were riding together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I'll repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now, therefore, take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. And so the king, Joram, he goes out in his chariot, which to me, I was thinking about this. I'm like, man, he's not good enough to be there with the soldiers. So he goes home and he's probably, you know, watching TV and stuff, you know, kicking back. He's not in the war. I mean, to me, he's just not a king. He's not a king. And you even see that here. When he finds out Jehu has come to fight, what does he do? He splits. Ah! You can almost picture him screaming, you know, like a girl or something, man. (laughs) Dude, you're the king. You're supposed to fight. You know, and what does he do? Treachery. He runs away. And, uh, you know, Jehu, just, man, he just bullseye right in the heart. God guided the arrow, right? Right? And so he, he dies. And it's interesting to me, I mean even back I look at verse twenty one. You know, as as Jehu is riding, you know, sixty miles an hour in his chariot, and then you know, the king sends out the messengers and then eventually the king comes out himself. Don't you think it's interesting that they met in the property of Naboth the Jezreelite? Isn't that, I mean, it's just right there on in the intersection of Lower Zeus and Peck Road. Right there, man. It's just like right there, you know. I mean, how, I mean, what are the odds of that? You know, he's riding as fast as he can. He finally comes out. Boom, right there. What is that telling you? Or it says, the reason I'm doing this is because of your sin. Your grandfather's sin that you've held on to. And now it's come. You got, you got to pay the piper. You got to pay you know, the king runs away, shaking in his boots. And, you know, we can't do that, you guys. You know, and I know this is different. You know, this is different. But don't run from the battle. Run to the battle. Run to the battle. You know, here we see this guy right here. It reminds me of Saul. Remember Saul when Goliath kept coming out, you know, day after day for 40 days, defying the armies of the living God. Saul is the guy that was tallest, head of shoulders above everybody else, but he wasn't about to take up that fight. So what ends up happening, God raises up a young guy named David, maybe 16 years old, ruddy looking, red hair, shepherd, never been in the army before, but he believes in God. Right? And what ends up happening? David fights. David wins. I don't know. I just don't like the, this concept right here of just running away like this. It's just crazy. You know, and just the Lord is just saying, hey, this is Judgment Day. They meet at the property of Naboth, the one that they had unjustly murdered. How we need, as a lesson, to keep in mind and heart that justice might not happen today, but one day. You know, and that works in both ends. Maybe you've been wronged and you're upset. God, I don't get it. Why did they get away with this? Or why are they doing this? You know, you see all the evil things that are going on in the world today, and it's just crazy. You're like, Lord, how can you allow this to happen? And God just says, don't worry. One day, every wrong will be made right. One day, justice will be served. And we need that in our heart. We need to understand that every wrong will receive its righteous retribution. It took 30 years, but God eventually judged and that can happen if you've been wronged, but I would also like to say this that it can happen if we wrong others. Now, as Christians, we're grateful that Jesus has suffered our punishment for us. We don't have to, we won't be punished for our sins. But we can be disciplined, right? And those trancasos, man, they might hurt. So, you know, we can't play with sin. You know the Bible says in Galatians six and seven and eight, do not be deceived, God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. You know we can get deceived into thinking that well it doesn't matter that I planted that seed of discord, or I planted that seed of wickedness or I planted that seed of and you said this about you know whatever your wife or your husband or your child or whatever it is, and you think that you know it it'll never that seed will never grow. And who knows, you know, I've learned this as a Christian that, you know, God doesn't give us what He deserves. He doesn't make us, discipline us for everything. He can if He wants to, though. And that, one, that, that seed that you sowed right there, it might come back to bite you one day. It makes me fear God. When I see the way that some people, they, they, they don't take it seriously. We have to take it seriously. We can't be deceived into thinking that nothing's going to ever come out of that. The Bible says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so, you know, Jehu ends up killing the king and he picks him up and he throws him into the tract of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And, you know, Jehu knew all about the prophecy of Elisha and 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 you know and here we see it just literally literally comes to pass which is another lesson for us and that is that the word of the lord is is true and everything in this book this bible right here everything in this bible every jot and every tittle is true it will come to pass you know Joshua 21:45 not a word failed of any good thing which the lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. There's good things, right? But there's also bad things. Watch, go over to Joshua 23. And verse 14, Joshua says, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. In other words, you know, he's going to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one good thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one word of them has failed. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the harmful things, until he has destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. Because I just, you know, just want to make sure, like especially reading in Second in Kings about the judgment, and we're learning oh, all the, the word of the Lord, it comes to pass, but remember, it's also not the promises you know, for, for good, but the promises to discipline. God's true. God's not a liar. And that's why we have to sow good seed Today Today you might be struggling in your life because of the seeds that you've sown who knows? Maybe last year. And you're reaping the benefits of that or the consequences of that. But what you got to do is start sowing good seeds now. And then the one thing about the Lord that's really interesting to me is it, it doesn't happen overnight. You know You, you sow a bad seed, and, and you know the next day you have a great day and you're thinking, "See, I could sow bad seeds." No, you can't, because eventually that seed's going to grow. You see what I'm saying? So it takes time. You've got to know this principle by faith. Do your best to start sowing good seeds. Eventually, it may take a few weeks or months or, or, or maybe even longer, but eventually you will see the blessings upon a life that is committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. To where he truly is your master. And not just, well, like I do what he tells me to do when it's convenient. Or I do what he tells me to do when I agree with him. No, you do what he tells you to do, period. Whether you feel like it or not. Because it's not your life, it's his life. And you start living that life and sowing those good seeds... And it's just so cool what the Lord will do. You see, you look at this right here, and you were going to see that, um, you know, King Joram is, is killed, and, and he's killed in, a, in an ugly way. And later on, we're going to see all of his sons are going to die. And, you know, you might look at that, and you might say, well, that's heavy, God. I can't believe you would do that. But don't see it as a heavy thing, try to see it more as a holy thing. You know, just yesterday, someone was implying to me that the God of the Old Testament seems different than the God of the New Testament. You know, you look at the Old Testament and you think, wow, look it, he wiped out all these people. Man, he's probably a different God than the the, the God of the New Testament, right? Let me ask you guys a question. Is Jesus a lamb or a lion? He's He's both. Trick question, Right. He's a lamb and he's a lion. And it's interesting to me in Revelation chapter 5, the lamb that was slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He's still a lion. And that's why we got to see, you know, a lot of people die in the Old Testament, but you want to know something? Not as many people die in the Old Testament as die in the New Testament. Did you know that? You start reading the book of Revelation, and you're going to trip out, because first, two we're going to see it's crazy. Some say maybe two-thirds of the whole entire population will be killed during the tribulation period. First, one-fourth dies. We're going to see that in Revelation chapter six, verse eight. One-fourth of the earth is killed with sword and hunger and death. And then in Revelation chapter 9, verse 15, the ones that are left, it says right there, "A third of them are killed. And so by then, if you do the simple math, which uh, I, I'm not really good at, but I did figure this one out, 50% of all the world will be killed at that point in the tribulation period, right? And that doesn't even include all the other Calamities and seas of calamities, like for example, Revelation 1420 and Revelation sixteen speaks of the time that Jesus is going to come to set up his kingdom. And you guys remember Jesus is coming on the white horse, right? And he's got a sword in his mouth, and what's he gonna do? He's gonna smite the earth. And when he smites the earth, the Bible says there's gonna be two hundred miles of dead bodies four feet high. Hundreds of millions of people will die. Some say two-thirds will die during this time. And if that's true and Jesus were to come today, that would mean there would be 4.7 billion people dead. And so all I'm saying, and I'm not trying to, you know, scare you. Of course, you don't want to be here for the tribulation period. God is a holy God. Hell is real. That's why God had to send his son to die on the cross. I'm not trying to scare you. All I'm trying to say is it's the same God. And these guys in the Old Testament, tibni and Omri and Ahab and Athaliah and Joram, this wicked dynasty, God says, okay, now it's time. And, and God would, would judge them. You know, we've got to know who God is. Um, we have to have a balance. I, I like the way the Lord revealed himself to Moses. If you go over to Exodus chapter 6, and I've probably shared this with you before, but to me, it's so important that we have a proper perspective of the Lord. Some see Him only as a lamb, okay? And you've got to see Him as a lamb, but don't see Him only as a lamb. Some see Him only as a lion, and you've got to see Him as a lion. Yes, but don't see Him only as a lion. You've got to see God who He really is. It says here in Exodus chapter 6, it says in verse 6, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I brought you... Oops, I'm sorry. That's not the right... Oh, this is such an important verse too. Let me check real quick, you guys, a couple other passages. And if not, I'll basically tell you this story. Oh, man. When the Lord um, told Moses, I'm going to reveal my glory to you, Moses... Um, was allowed to see the Lord. But when the Lord passed by, and again, Moses just saw his afterglow, the Lord revealed himself uh, to the people. And and he just talks about how he's so forgiving. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's long-suffering, right? That's the Lamb. That's how gracious God is. But in the same sentence, he says, but by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers, even to the third generations. Where is it? Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I was thought. maybe you guys might know. I'm thinking, is anybody going to tell me now? Is it Exodus uh, Let me double check here. Yeah, I think this is it. Maybe not. Oh, here it is in Exodus 34. Now again, you guys remember the Lord showed himself to Moses in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Okay, so now this is kind of like the Lord just really showing himself. And it says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth and keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And, and we see that about the Lord, how huh? We're like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for who you are and the grace and the cross and just the Lamb of God. Thank you. But he doesn't end there, right? He goes on and, and he says, by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You see? And that's how we have to see God. There are some, like Rob Bell, he wrote a book, it's called Love Wins, where he says everybody's eventually going to go to heaven. What a liar. What a false prophet. We have to warn people about the judgment of God. And in looking and seeing what happens to the family of Ahab and Joram, we see it clear. And we're just reminded, you guys, I think we're reminded of the holiness of God. We really are. And we need to have a good understanding of His grace and His holiness. And just having a balanced view is so important. And so back in 2 Kings, in verse 27, it says, But when Hazahiah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the road. And so remember, this is the king of Judah, and he runs away too. <laughs> and so Jehu pursued him and said, Shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblim. Then he to, fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David, in the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah had become king over Israel. And so this guy Jehu, he kind of reminds me of that guy Phinehas, if you remember back in the Book of Numbers, chapter twenty-five, when you know the people of Israel had gone astray. Um, and they were, you know, committing sexual immorality. They were committing adultery, uh, with, you know, spiritual adultery. And Moses, he finally comes down. and He says, "Where are you guys? You know, are you are you for the Lord? And and if you're for the Lord, get over here." Phinehas gets over here, and what does Phinehas do? One of the guys, he 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 takes a girl from the from the Moabites. And uh, he just kind of strolls along right in front of Moses and everybody. It's no big deal. We're going to go into our tent. We're going to do our thing. Because that was their way that they were committing their idolatry and their spiritual adultery right in in the face. And what did Phinehas do? You remember what Phinehas did? He got the spear and they were right there doing their thing. He just went, He just killed them. It was the zeal of the Lord. Sometimes we think, well, that's not the Lord. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. It was the zeal of the Lord. And that's what we see Jehu is doing right now. He's just killing people, man. And you're like, that's not nice. God is doing what he needs to do to protect his people. Right? And so, you look at this right here. And in verse 30, it says, Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head, and look through a window. She, you know, she puts her makeup on. You know, I wonder what she looked like. You know, she adorns her head, and uh, and she's looking out the window. Then, as Jehu entered the gate, she said, "Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master?" Now, it's interesting to me. Where did they get? Everybody's asking for peace. Man, <laughs> is it peace? Sorry, not this time. You need to get your life right with the Lord. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what are you waiting for? If you're here today and you've got a half-heart of commitment to Christ, why in the world would you do something like that? You know, Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Man, we've got to be on fire for the Lord. You know, I want to encourage you, you know, to just, man, this is really where we need to be. You know, is it peace, Zimri? Now that takes us back to this one king who, uh, he did rebel. I mean, he wasn't actually a king. He was a guy who overtook the kingdom. But he didn't last long. Um, remember, Tibni was there. And so this guy ended up committing suicide. So she's trying to take him back to another rebel who didn't survive. Is it, you're like Zimri, huh? You're going to take over, but you're not going to survive. She's trying to use this psychological warfare, right? But, you know, Jehu won't end up that way. And so it says in verse 32 he looked up at the window and he said, Who is on my side? Who? And so two or three eunuchs looked out at him. <laughs> and then he said, Throw her down. And so they threw her down and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses. And I wasn't sure. See where it says, and he trampled her underfoot? More than likely that's the horses, right? I thought, I wonder if that's Jehu. No, it's the horses. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. And then he said, Go now, see to this accursed woman, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. And so they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back, told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, Dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel. So they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. Again, a prophecy about the fact that Jezebel was not going to have a nice you know, tombstone or a place where you can go visit her and say, oh, look, here she is. You know, Basically, you know, the dogs are going to eat her. You know, the other day we went to, uh, have you guys ever been to that place? Um, I think it's called Pinnacle Peaks. Have you guys ever been there, that steak place? Is that what it's called? Oh, man, it was so good. Steak was so good. I got a cowboy uh, plate, and uh, it was this T-bone steak, right? And so um, (laughs) we took it home to our dog Chip. Oh, he cleaned it out, man. He cleaned it out. Have you guys ever seen the dogs eat the bones? Eat the bones. I mean, you just, you know, he cleaned it out. That's what they did to Jezebel. They cleaned it out, man. They ate her because of her sin. You know, I just want to encourage you, hate sin. God hates it. Hates sin. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. For us as Christians, you know, we can just hold to that. But now that you're born again, and now that the Spirit of God lives inside of you, and now that you know that you know about heaven and hell, and all the wonderful things that God wants to use your life and to reach out to people, now in this case, man, my prayer is that we would know the grace of God, and that we would go out and that we would live a life that would be appropriate. Last uh, Sunday night, um, we went over the scripture in Ephesians four. Where it says, walk worthy. You know, I don't think it's too much to ask. The Lord is the one who asks. Walk worthy of this great salvation. We didn't get a chance to do the other chapter. I don't want to take you guys into another half hour. And so um, you look at Jehu, and you're like, who? Jehu, okay? He's doing pretty good right now, huh? But unfortunately, he doesn't stay on track. And so my prayer is that we would get on track. We would do good. And that we would, by the grace of God, stay on track. You know, you guys here on a Thursday night, you don't, I mean, I hope you know, and I think some of you do, but I really hope you know what a difference your life makes. You, know, you go out there and you share with your family and you share with the people that you work with and you share with your friends. You go out there and you shine for your family, you shine for your kids. You guys know how it is with your kids. What's going what's gonna to be the loudest to them? The words that you tell them? Do this, do that. Or the life that you live? It's going to be the life that you live hands down. As a matter of fact, if you tell them to live the life and you don't live the life, you will undo the message. So all I'm saying is that we can come to a study like this and we can just say, Lord, pierce my heart. Lord, I'm excited. Lord, I see what can happen if I become zealous for you. I'm not going to go kill people or anything like that. But I am going to have this fire and this passion that is going to be so evident. And I'm telling you what, man, if we would all do that just to you right here, oh, man, what a difference. What a difference it would make. And so I pray you would as Christians, and I pray if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, or you know, if you're hurting or you're struggling, I I know like a lot of times you can always you can always bank on the fact that there are people that are hurting and that are struggling. I just want to tell you that Jesus is here. Jesus Christ is here to help you. And so you gotta come to Him. You gotta surrender your life to Him. You just gotta fall on your knees, say, Lord. I give you my heart. And you do that tonight and you watch. Watch what the Lord will do. That's what you got to do. You got to make that transaction. You got to make that transaction. Hudson Taylor, he called it the exchange life. And uh, have you guys ever exchanged something? You ever exchanged something? Maybe you got it and uh, you didn't like it or you got it, it was too, or we'll say for you ladies, it was too big for you. Okay? <laughs> and then you take it and you give it and the exchange, right? And so what we want to do is we want to exchange our life. Say, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. And then you know what he'll give you? He'll give you his life. That's the exchange life. And that's a good deal. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us, Lord, the way that you do. And Lord, uh, um, thank you for, for being such an awesome God and that you would write these things down, Lord, to minister to us. And Father, my prayer today is that we would have that zeal of the Lord, that we would have that passion for holiness, that we would rise up and and go into the inner room and that Lord, you would anoint us with the power of your Holy Spirit, with the person of your Holy Spirit because Lord, you're who we need. You are nothing less, not a religion. We need you lord to baptize us once again and so father i pray that you would touch every heart here that you would meet every need and that they would know lord your personal god who loves them and wants to lead them through life bless their families their ministries all the things going on we just thank you tonight and we pray all these things in jesus name amen god bless you guys.